Let me say just a couple things before we get to this message this morning. The message is a little different. I've already had somebody, somebody kind of query me on that a little bit. But uh, let me say, we've got some exciting things happening right now, and uh, one of them is in uh, just, a, just a few minutes after the service is over. Uh, we're so excited that Gary Creel has uh, taken on the leadership of small groups because uh, he really has a heart for that. I mean, he's really all into it. So 1045, if you've got uh, interest in leading a small group, and every person sitting here needs to lead a small You need to lead a small group. If you don't do it this summer, you need to do it this fall because uh, you need to be pouring into somebody else. You need to be reaching out. But so let me not say a lot there. But we've also got uh, next Sunday, we're starting our summer series, and it's Life Apps. And uh, if uh, you're not on a smartphone yet, then uh, you might have to ask somebody what we're talking about a little bit there. But, uh, but Life Apps, and, and it's something that's kind of, uh, it connects to today. It's uh, contemporary, but it's also something straight from the Bible. We're going to share with you the Life Apps that God has given to us as Christians to help us through our lives, our daily lives. And uh, then also Wednesday night, these are, these are three big things, and I know you just saw them, but I, I want to really pump them a little bit for you if I can, is uh, this Wednesday night we also start the reality series. And it's not just a reality series, okay? It's not just something that we can do for, for fun, but it's something we put a lot of time in because this is actually our discipleship. Beginning our 101, 201, 301, and 401 class. And so this Wednesday night, we'll have two of those classes. And uh, so I want you to come. Everybody, please be here. And uh, you go to you pick 101 or 201 this week, and then the next week, go to the other one. And uh, we're going to do that through the month of June, okay? And so then, because they'll change up in the third week, all right? So I really want to encourage you to please be here. And then uh, about a quarter till, uh, we're going to, pro- and I'm going to tell the uh, the class leaders to uh, just stop at a quarter till because uh, what we want to do at that point is is uh, then we're going to come into the sanctuary and uh, and kind of join the youth at the end um, because I'm sure probably I, I, unless somebody's been under a rock you probably uh, you probably know that that Trace is uh, going to be leaving and uh, you know we don't understand a lot of times we don't understand sometimes how or why. Uh, God works things he does, but, and in ministry, people, a lot of times people don't understand ministerial decisions, especially these kinds of decisions. Let me tell you this, you don't make these decisions based on money, you don't make these decisions based on popularity, you don't, you don't make these decisions based on good career moves, but you do the best you can to make these decisions based on what God is leading you and how God wants to use you in his kingdom. Because that's what it's all about. And this is like all of, our, all of our tears, our hurts, our fears of, of the future and all those things, you know, those are important to us today. But those things are going to fade and those things are going to pass away. What's really going to be important is how you serve God. That's what's going to be important a thousand years from now. It's whether you were obedient to God or not. I told Trace this week that if God had spoken to me two years ago and had given me... Uh, it had given me a revelation of what was going to happen, that for two years he was going to be here and we were going to watch him grow tremendously. and We were going to watch him pour into kids and we were going to watch him uh, impact so many lives and we were all going to grow to love his heart as we have. And then God says, I'm going to have a new thing for him. And not just new for him, but new, a new something in the kingdom of God, a new something in the, in the church world, and I'm going to use him to work alongside some guys that are doing something new and different. You know what I'd have said two years ago? I'd have said, that's cool, God. But this week, it doesn't feel real cool, does it? It would have been if we'd have known that, but not knowing until now, it doesn't feel that way. 
So let's, let's back up to that if we can. Let's think this has been cool. This has been a great thing. This has been an awesome time to have had Trace here and uh, for us to get to know him. And uh, Wednesday night, I encourage you to be here Wednesday night after the adult classes. We're going to come in here and, and join the kids, join the, the students, and, and uh, give, him a, give him a good send-off. So, uh, and also, and listen, if you can't be here Wednesday night, you need to give him a hug today before you leave and, uh, and let him know how much you appreciate his gift. Could you uh, just help me right now just tell Trace just a little bit of how we love and appreciate him? Okay, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into our message today. And, I, and this is the encouragement. I told, you, I told you that first week. It might not have been really encouraging to you unless you're willing to work for it. Uh, second week was a little bit more encouraging, maybe, and a little less work. Well, today's not much work at all. I mean, this one is just all about encouragement, okay? And about this God will let the cows out for you, I, you know, we'll just have to see what that is. Okay, let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you, God, for uh, all of the blessings that you give us. God, my heart breaks, Lord, when I see these families, Lord, that have lost loved ones, God. And, and uh, God, the, the things that I've dealt with this past week, Lord, the, the problems that my family's had, God, they, the, God, they've been so minor, God, compared to the, compared to the things that, that, that others are, are having to remember this Memorial Day weekend. And God, I just thank you, Lord, for for uh, great men and great women who have given their lives in that way for us. And God, I thank you, Lord, for your son who uh, paid that ultimate sacrifice for us, gave his life. He didn't even have to come and live here, God, but he came and lived here and died here on purpose, God, so that uh, he could win my freedom. Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, uh, he didn't just do that just for that purpose, God, for these things that we're talking about today as well. And I pray your Holy Spirit would just guide us through this time. I pray, God, that you would just bless us, Lord. I pray, uh, God, you would just anoint this time, God. I pray you stir somebody. I pray, God, you help somebody believe again, Lord, that you will do whatever it takes to minister to them as your child. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Okay, so let me do this first. I got to give you some scriptural background, okay? Because I want you, to, I want you to know why I believe what I believe. Because I want you to believe it too, okay? Right, let me tell you what I believe. I believe God will do whatever it takes to minister to His children. That's what I believe, and I want you to believe it too, okay? And that's that's the whole point of this message today. So let me first of all take you to some scripture, Psalm ninety-one. Some of you are real familiar with that, right? I know some of you. That's your favorite chapter. It says. Now, listen to this. God will do whatever it takes. He says, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And you know what that means? No matter what you walk through last week, this week, he's going to keep you in all those. Anybody walk through some bad times, bad places, you know, this week or in your life? Are you still here? Are you still here? Are you still alive? Is everything, you know, everything's pretty, pretty good, you know, connected in your family, I mean, your life, and everything's still going all right, reasonably? You know what? He's keeping you. I mean, even in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a war, he's keeping you, isn't he? Okay, and they will keep you in their hands, lest uh, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Okay, so he's talking about his children. And he shall call upon me, God says, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. And verse 16 says, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay, these are the things that God says I'm going to do for those that know me. And he's talking about, he's talking about his, what we call his children, his family. 
These are the things he was doing. All these things. And, and some of you know that whole chapter. You just read that chapter over and over, and it's just a reminder of all the things that God wants to do. My, my theory to you, and it's not my theory because it's stronger than that. My faith is a statement to you. My, my hope, my confidence, my trust, and the truth that I believe is that God will do whatever it takes to minister to his children, take care of his children. He says that in those words of Scripture. And so this morning, I, I want to I bring you four stories real quick, if I can. One of them's, one of them's from Scripture. We'll start with that one. And I want to bring you three uh, contemporary stories or stories of, of, of our time that we live in, just to, just to remind you. I don't know if they'll prove to you, because uh, I, I really hope you already know this, but I hope they'll remind you that God will do whatever it takes. And the first one is about a man named Hezekiah. Now, that's obviously one from Scripture, right? Y'all don't know anybody named Hezekiah today, do you? Anybody? Uh, maybe a great-granddaddy or something, you know, that was his middle name or whatever. Okay, that's obviously from Scripture, okay? This, this is a time when uh, Hezekiah thinks he's going to die, and, and here's why. Okay, we'll go to Isaiah chapter 38. It says, In those de- days Hezekiah was sick, and he was near death, And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So he says, basically, you know, make sure your will's ready and, you know, everything's put together because you're going to die. And then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. He he, kind of rolled over in bed, just turned his face to the wall. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly, to remember of what I've done and how I've followed you and walked in your way. And he wept bitterly. And so as, as, he, as he begins to pray and as he begins to seek God, God speaks to Isaiah, and I'm not going to read the scripture. Let me just tell you a little bit of this story right here. God speaks to Isaiah as Isaiah is leaving. You know, something is changing in God's mind. Now, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to fathom how God can change his mind because God already knows what he's going to do, you know, a thousand years from now. Right, but but you know, it, it, so so it appears to me it's kind of like one of those times where you know a, a parent goes to a child and you know and, and asks you know did you break the window you know did you throw the baseball that broke the window you know that kind of thing and you know what you, you've kind of got you got two outcomes that you're already thinking about now if they didn't do it you know then then you know we're just going to talk about it and, and but if they did it. You know, then we're going to do that. And maybe there's a third outcome also that if they did it and they're lying and I can tell they're lying, then maybe they're going to get a whipping on top of doing everything else, you know, because, I mean, it's like, it's like all these outcomes. It's like if this, if this, if this, and that's what God also knows as well is I'm, as Hezekiah's got to die because he's sick, he's going to die. I'm, but I'm going to tell him, and I know that, you know, if, if he begins to pray, this is what, this is what I, I believe is going on in the mind of God, that if he'll begin to pray and really seek my face, if he'll, if he'll throw himself on my mercy, you know, if he doesn't, you know, put on his king's robes and his, and his crown, you know, and throw his shoulders back and say, well, who does God think he is telling me I'm going to die? But if he humbles himself before me, you see, God didn't send Isaiah back to Hezekiah in, the, in these next couple of verses. He didn't send him back because Hezekiah was the greatest king that Israel had ever had because he was a good king, but he wasn't the greatest king they ever had. I don't think anyone has ever said he was the greatest king Israel ever had. He wasn't the greatest. He wasn't the richest. He, he wasn't the wisest. He, he wasn't any of those things. Was it, was it because of the prayer that he prayed? Did you, did you count the words? I think in the King James, it's about 30 words. In the New King James, it's 28 words. In the actual Hebrew, I counted it the last night because I wanted to know. It's 14. I think yesterday morning I counted it. It was 14 words in the Hebrew. He, it was a 14-word prayer 
that changed God's mind. And you know what God told Isaiah? He said, Isaiah, go back and tell him he's got 15 more years. 15 more years for a 14-word prayer. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with his, his goodness, his, uh, his strength, his uh, uh, riches, his wisdom, any of those things. And I don't even think it has anything to do with the prayer. Well, what it has to do with, I think, is at the end of that verse. At the end of verse 3, you know, what, remember what it said after he prayed the prayer? It says, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. You remember that scripture that I gave to you last week about the effectual or the, uh, uh, the earnest, fervent prayer? What does it say about the effectual, the earnest, fervent prayer of a righteous person? It says it avails much. It gets God's attention. You know, there was a, there was a song back when I was a kid. I, I remember hearing this old uh, country southern song. It was called, uh, when, when Mama Prayed, All Heaven Paid Attention. Anybody else ever heard that song? You know, just a few of you, a few of you nodding. You're not, some of you nodding because you don't want anybody else to know you're that old, do you? You know, but so when Mama Prayed, All Heaven Paid Attention. Now, I used to think about that. Now, what does that mean? You know, because I know that when I pray, God hears me, right? But when Mama prayed, all heaven paid attention. Because what, what, what did it say in Psalm 91? It says he will give his angels charge over you. His angels know that if, if God begins to say, I want you to do this, you know, if God begins answering prayers, the angels are the ones going to have to do it. I think that when a true child of God begins to pray in the effectual, fervent manner, the way that Hezekiah did, turning his face toward the wall and getting serious with God and humbling himself and say, God, you know I've just done the best I could do and you know I've followed you the best way way I can, and weeping bitterly that all of heaven knows. These angels know, wait a minute, God's, God's about to do something. I believe when that begins to happen that, that maybe even the angels, you know, they kind of get up on their tiptoes just a little bit. You know, they, they, they rise up out of their place and they begin to get ready to do something. When, when, when mama prayed, all heaven paid attention. And so here, here's a question I've got for us today is, is when you pray, who pays attention? Now, I know God hears everything that goes on, but is he really paying attention? You see, that's the thing is, and I talked about this last week when I was at that point of that scripture, is a lot of times we just waste God with our, waste time, God's time with our prayers. It's like we're praying something and we don't really even mean it. God, you know, it'd really be good if, you know, you could uh, do this for me or whatever. And that's not an effectual, or a fervent prayer. That's not a, a prayer of turning your face to the wall and, and weeping bitterly. That's not a prayer that's going to get God's attention, much less the rest of heaven. But I believe when you get into a situation, you've got to have God. Uh, this is, I believe this is what scriptures tell you. Is when you get into a situation and you've got to have God, and you, and you just drop it all, you say, God, I've got to have you show up in my life. I believe the whole of heaven say, oh, wait a minute. Something is about, and maybe even hell too is paying attention because even the devils know when a child of God in the midst of all the strife and struggle and battle that they're going through begins to truly truly get a hold of God, to, to truly reach to him, to give an earnest a fervent prayer to him that even the devils of hell begin to say, uh-oh, we're about to lose ground because God is going to have to move on behalf of this one. I believe that's what, I believe that's what the scripture is telling us. It is, it, you see, the Bible is not a whole bunch of words. The Bible is one word. So add it all together, and I see the story of Hezekiah, and I see the words of Psalm 91, and I see the words there in James about, the, uh, about this effectual, fervent prayer. And I add all that together, and it tells me that, that you know, the reason we don't get our needs met is because we're just kind of uh, throwing little prayers at God, little drive-by prayers. And what we need to do is we need to get serious about those things we truly need. And if we'll get serious... God will too. Because what it appears to me is 
Whatever touches you, a child of God, touches Him. Whatever touches your heart, whatever breaks your heart also breaks His. Come on, those of you who are parents, you know what it's like. Your kid can't cry without you crying. I mean, you might not have tears going down your cheek, but you know you can't, they can't cry without your heart breaking also. And God's, He's our Father. I mean, we're made in His image. He is exactly the same way. There's no way that something can break our heart without impacting His. I heard a pastor, a pastor tell this story uh, many years ago. It was in Mobile, and, and uh, he, he was helping with a funeral of an infant that had passed away, an infant that had died. And he said it was a horrible day for a funeral. I, I don't know if there is a good day for a funeral, but when he said that, you know, I knew what he meant. The weather was bad. I mean, you know, it was cloudy. It was dark. It was raining. You know, it just like, just, it said it just magnified the feelings, the emotions that the rest of the, that the whole family had. But he said on the, way to the, on the way to the cemetery, he said the clouds began to break up. He said, I saw sun, sunlight coming through the clouds. And he, and he said, he said we had a little son there just, just for the, the time there at the cemetery. And he said, he said, I just thank God. He said, I said, he said, I just felt like that was really God letting them know that in the midst of, of all of this darkness and all of this rain that was falling in their life today, that he was still there and his light was still there and his warmth was still there and he would still be there for them. You say, wait, do you really believe that was God? Yeah, I believe that was God. Now, uh, does that mean that, that the rain meant that God isn't paying attention when there's rain or that when there's clouds that God isn't paying? No, it isn't that. But, and, and even the sun, that wasn't God's love, but it was a sign of God's love. That's the kind of thing that God will do. Whatever touches you will touch him. Do you believe that God will do that kind of a thing? Now listen, if God created the sun and he created the clouds and he created the rain, if he created the wind, you know, if he created them, then I'm pretty sure he can tell them to do whatever he wants to tell them to do, right? I mean, if he could say, okay, break apart, you know, uh, clouds, I got to give some sunlight right here. I believe God will do whatever it takes to minister to the needs of his children. Back to the story of Hezekiah for just one final thought right here. It's when Isaiah went back, he said, you're going to live 15 more years. And here's what's going to happen, Hezekiah. To prove it to you, you're going to get this sign is God is going to move. Y'all know what a sundial is? Any of y'all old enough to have used one? Uh, sun, sundial is, you know, you, you, know, you can kind of you know, check the sun out you know, and know, know what time it is by looking. And, and you know, a sundial kind of figures that, you know, and it's got the degrees on it. And so here, here was the sign that God was going to give. They didn't have wristwatches back in those days. So here was the sign that God was going to give, is that he was going to cause the shadow on the sundial to go backwards 10 degrees. Backwards 10 degrees. No big deal, is it? Until you think about it. Until you think about it. And one, that was another one of those things I got to thinking about one day. I just got to thinking about all that. I got to thinking about what it would take for the, sun, for the sun's shadow to go back 10 degrees. Now, we all understand that the world isn't the center of the universe, right? I mean, that's what they used to, under, they used to think, and that the sun revolved around the world, and that's why we had day and night like that. But actually, it's the other way around, is that the sun, is that the, the world revolves around the sun, but each day is how, is how the earth spins around and rotates on its own axis. And so what God had to do is to, is to change that shadow is that as it was spinning, you know, ever so slowly, then God had to back it up 10 degrees. Ever so slowly. The earth just spins ever so slowly, right? Wrong. Anybody know what the circumference of the earth is? 
20-something, uh, 24, uh, 24, 25,000, uh, see, I think it's 20, I think it's actually 24,901 is what sticks in my head, but I'm not positive that. Somebody, somebody can Wikipedia that in just a couple of minutes and maybe let me know. But I think it's 24,901 uh, miles around the equator. Now, now we're, we're a little above the equator, and uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you wear your belt here, you might wear a 36. If you wear it up here, you might only wear a 32. You know, that's the way some of us do it, right? Uh, that's, that's why you'll see a lot of guys, you know, wearing it a little higher as they get older, right? Just kind of hide something. Or you can wear it a little lower, and it's that way as well. That's the way the earth is. You know, if you wear it a little higher, you know, that little belt. Well, we're a little higher. We're at the, about, about latitude 33 degrees, okay? So if you check, and actually Israel is not far below us, not too far below us. So, so Israel, this place that, is that it? I th- that's what I said. I did remember that. How about that? Okay. 24901. All right, so Israel is just a little below us, okay? So this, this, where this story is happening is just about the same place that, that we are, a little below us. So actually the earth is spinning a little faster where they are than it is where we are because they're a little below us, but we're not all the way down to the equator. Uh, but just give you this as, as the example. The earth is 18,000 miles around here where we live in Birmingham, Alabama. 18,000 miles around, okay? And it's turning, and I know we look at it, we think, oh, well, it's turning ever so slowly, but think about that. It's 18,000, every, every day you travel 18,000 miles. So from here to here, you know, from here all the way around to here again, is 18,000, you travel that every single day, and you do it in 24 hours. Divide it out, guess how much it is? 750 miles an hour that the world is turning, Set at this place, it's actually, it's actually turning. Uh, if, you were, if you're standing on the equator, you're actually going around at over 1,000 miles an hour. But standing right here, we're doing 750 miles an hour going around. Doesn't feel like it, does it? The reason is because the atmosphere and everything else is going around with us as well. But now think about it. It's 750 miles an hour, and it's like, this is the way we live. We don't even understand it. I mean, there's not a lot of outside influences and forces out there that are pulling away from us. I mean, it's all self-contained right here. But... If, if you had a ball spinning at 750 miles an hour like that, and you were to stick your finger on it and just stop it right there, imagine if you had, if you had, if you had little things sitting all over it, like little buildings and houses and mountains and hills and trees, and you were to just stop it. You know what? Trees would go flying. You know, they'd just keep flying. You, you, know, you, imagine, you know what happens when you're doing 40 miles an hour, slam on the brakes in your car, right? Everything goes forward, right? If God were to stop the earth like that, you know, every house that had been built in those days, we, they obviously didn't have skyscrapers yet, but every palace that had been built, they would have fallen flat because they would have fallen over. The, the hills would, I mean, there would, have been, there would have been huge earthquakes that would have happened. And the oceans, the seas, and the rivers, they would have all just sloshed out. You know, think about it. All of that would have happened. So when God, he, and he didn't just stop it, he turned it back 10 degrees. So for God to do that, you know what he had to do? He had to put his fingers on every single thing in this whole world. He had to put his fingers on every, every building, every mountain, every hill, every, every, every flower, every person, every animal. He had, to put his, he had to put his fingers on every single thing in the world and turn it back 10 degrees so that it wouldn't fall apart and then it was still rotating. I mean, it's like it's rotating all of a sudden, it goes like that. And God had to put his finger on every single thing. I mean, when, when God does these kinds of things, I mean, it's not like, oh, well, he, just turned it, he just turned it back 10 degrees. No, God, God has his hands on every... You need to understand that. 
Sometimes we get, we get anxious with God. We get, we get impatient with God. We want to know why in the world God hasn't done this or done that yet. And, and, the, and the simple fact of the matter is God's working on everything. I mean, he's, putting his, he's getting his hands ready on every single thing in your life and all the lives of all the people around you and all the little details that he needs to work out for your situation. He's getting everything ready, and when it's time, all of a sudden he'll, just, he'll make that adjustment that needs to be made. It's God will do whatever. It was an amazing thing that God did right here. An amazing thing. I mean, one of the, to me, one of the biggest miracles God ever did was right here. I mean, because I mean, the whole world would have fallen apart had God not put his fingers on every single thing in this whole world. You know, but I believe God will do whatever it takes to minister to his children. Several years ago, I had a good friend of mine tell me a story. This is a story. Now, I don't know these people. I know this lady. She read, she read this story in a Guidepost magazine. You all heard of that Guidepost magazine? And it's a, it's, a, it's a Christian literature. It's got a lot of good, encouraging stories in it. And she read this story, and it's where the title for the sermon comes. And the story is, I, and now listen, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, okay, so I don't know a lot about farm life. But the story was from a lady who lived on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, just, this is rural America. You know, this is not where, you know, you've got, uh, you've got 14 churches on every corner, and you've got, you know, Walmart right across the street from a Kmart, you know, and you've got, you know, and you got Jack's and, and McDonald's and Burger King and Hardee's. And all, no, rural America, okay? I mean, if you go out your door, you look outside, and all you see is you just see flat land, you know, just going on and on and on for miles and miles and miles. And this lady, one particular night, the story she was writing about in the Guidepost magazine, one particular night... She realizes just before going to bed, she doesn't have any bread in the cupboard to make her husband a sandwich for lunch the next morning. He takes his lunch where he works is a very remote area. He can't go to Jack's, you know. Uh, he's in a remote area where he works. And so she realizes, I don't have any bread. There's no way. I, you know, I can send him a few pieces of ham, and he can just eat the ham. But he says, she said, I, I really need to make him a sandwich. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing I do for him every day is I make sure he's got a good lunch because he's out in that remote area. And she began thinking, what, what can I do? There's nothing to do. There's no all-night Walmart within 30 minutes or 30 miles away. She begins thinking, what can she do? And, and she, man, she's gone to the neighbor. I mean, they don't have a lot of neighbors. they got really one neighbor. And she, she said, I've gone to the neighbors so many times and, and wakened them. They don't get up as early as we do, and I've wakened them so many times early in the morning. She said, I, I just can't do that again to them. You know, maybe she even told them last time she did it. She said, look, I, I promise I'll never do this again. And here she, here she sat. In this situation, you know what? When you think about all the stuff going on in the world, it's not a really big deal, is it, that her husband doesn't have a couple pieces of bread for his lunch? But it's something that touched her heart, and it's something that touched the heart of God. And she prayed, and she asked God, God, you got to help me somehow. Would you please help me? I, I, I've messed up again. God, it's my fault. You didn't do anything wrong, God. My husband, it's my fault, but I need some help out of this. And she went to bed, fully expecting God was going to help her somehow, and she didn't know how. She got up the next morning and went to the kitchen with faith, believing that somehow she was going to make her husband a sandwich. I don't know if she thought that she was going to go in and, and, and open the cupboard and all of a sudden, boom, there's going to be two pieces of bread right there. But she went to the kitchen thinking, I'm going to make my husband a sandwich. I prayed. I believe God's going to deliver. He's going to do, some, do something here to work a miracle. And she walked, into the, walked up to the kitchen sink. She began to wash her hands to get ready to prepare her husband a, a, a sandwich. And she looked out the window, and in her backyard, there were cows loose, just all walking through her backyard. And when she saw that, she began thinking. You know, her, her mind began, everything began to think, 
And she said, God, you let the cows out for me. Because the cows belonged to her neighbor. And so what she did was she ran next door, and that wasn't just, you know, just across the driveway. She ran next door, rang the doorbell. Her neighbor comes, you know, groggy to the door. What is it? And she says, "Uh, I just wanted you to know your cows are out again. I didn't want you to lose any of them. They're all scattered mostly in my backyard. And, oh, while you're awake and while I'm here, can I borrow a couple of pieces of bread? She said, I believe God let those cows out for me. He said, Pastor, you really believe that kind of a thing. Man, there's a whole lot of times I've prayed silly prayers, but it's been very serious to me that I believe God would. You, believe, you really believe God dispatched an angel down to pull up a, a latch on a gate? Or, 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 that, or that maybe he, he purposely made sure that it didn't quite go down in the first place? Do you believe God does stuff like I believe God does stuff like that. I believe God does amazing things like that. And you know what? Here, here's our problem that we live in in this, uh, this postmodern society that we live in. We don't believe God does this kind of thing anymore. We believe God doesn't, doesn't I don't know if we don't think he knows how or we don't think he cares. I, I don't know why we believe that he doesn't, but if he did it, I mean, if he did it for Hezekiah, I, mean, I think about the time when he stood up on the bow of the boat when when the disciples were about to be uh, overwhelmed with a storm and their ship was about to sink, and he said, peace be still, and everything stopped right there. I mean, if he could do it then, why can't he do it now? Uh, The only obvious answer is because there's nobody praying effectual, fervent prayers anymore. Because nobody's turning their face to the wall and weeping bitter and and saying, God, you got to help me with it. God wants to, I believe God wants to meet our needs. He wants to take care of us. In all of our struggles and battles, I believe God wants to do whatever it takes. And this story, like I said, I I don't really know that lady that wrote the story. I just know the lady that told me about it. And that story is not a big part of this message, but the reason I chose to title this message this is because I want it to stick in your head. You'll remember this one a while, won't you? (laughs) But the real... Importance of that story is what the lady that was my friend that was telling us this story, what she said afterwards. She said, I had to tell you that story from the Guidepost magazine before I told you this one because you won't understand what I say later in this story unless you know that story. And she asked us if we remembered a certain date, and we, we, you know, we didn't. We were riding in a car on our way back from a, a ministry thing in Mobile. And she asked if we remember the date. We didn't remember the date, none of us. And, and then she reminded us what happened on that date. And of course, I, I mean, you know, if somebody throws out a date at you, you know, that, you know, Pearl Harbor, and some of you may not remember that, but when they say Pearl Harbor, well, of course, yeah, we remember that. Well, it wasn't Pearl Harbor, but something else had happened. She said, you remember that? No, no we don't. She said, well, you remember that it was this. And then we said, oh, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I remembered it very well. She said, well, the day before that, she said, my daughter, who is, and I know her daughter, I, I don't remember how old she was exactly, but I know about when this happened, and so her, her daughter was probably about 12 years old when this happened. Our da- my daughter was home from school, and the phone rang. She answered the phone, and the, the man on the other end of the phone began asking her questions. What's your name? You know, where do you go to school? How old are you? Who are your friends? What's your, what's your teacher's name at school? And all this, and all this, and all this. When will your parents be home? And, and the 12-year-old, you know, uh, didn't know any better, but began to just, give all this information out. Finally, he hangs up. She didn't think much about it. He probably had given her some kind of an excuse of why he needed to know all this information. 
And so later that night, when the guy is pretty sure that parents will be home, he calls back. And he asks to speak, or he gets to speak to my friend, the mother of the 12-year-old. And as he's speaking to her, he begins telling her all these details of all these things that he knows about her 12-year-old daughter. She has no idea how he knows these things, as far as she knows he's, he's some pervert that's been following her around for six months. She doesn't know how he knows these things, but you know what? It doesn't even matter anymore because now that he knows all these things, his, her daughter could be in danger. And so he, he relates all these things, you know, about her school and about her teacher and about these things. And he says, uh, he says here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow, by such and such time, you're going to put an amount of money, and he gave her an amount of money. You're going to put an amount of money in an envelope. You're going to seal it up, and you're going to leave it in your mailbox, and you're going to leave. You're going to drive away. You're not going to call the police or anything. And if you don't, your daughter will not come home from school. You will never see her again. She hangs up the phone. She goes and gets her husband. They begin to, you know, begin to cry. They begin to, they begin to think, what the, we can't get that money tonight. There's no way we can get that money. They begin making phone calls. They even call the principal at home that night and ask the principal, what do, what, what do you suggest? What can we do? They didn't want to tell their daughter because they knew if this, was, if this was a prank, they would never know it was a prank. I mean, they could live under this cloud and, and this fear for days, wondering if the guy's going to show up for weeks or months. So they didn't want to tell their 12-year-old daughter, you know, if they had, a, she could have said, well, this guy called me this afternoon, but that wouldn't have even helped. I mean, now that the guy knew all this stuff, it still was dangerous. So they didn't want to tell her, and so they did, they, they, you know, the, the first thing is let's just keep her at home, but then you keep her at home, but then what happens the next day? And what happens the next day? So it's like, you know, I, I don't know if this was the best idea or not, but the idea they came up with is what they did, and the idea was to send her on to school and, and for mom to hand her off to the principal the principal hand her off to the teacher, and for every step that she made that day, for the teachers to know that she would have some adult, with, even if she went to the restroom, an adult is going with her to the restroom. Everywhere she went, she would have an adult with her all day long. That was the best plan they could come up with. So they, went, they went with this plan, put the kids to bed. They, go, they get ready to go to bed. Of course, they don't sleep any that night. A whole lot of praying going on. My friend is a very strong Christian woman. Whole lot of praying going on that night. But in the middle of the night, I told you there was something happened on that, that date, that next day. In the middle of the night, something happened that nobody saw coming. The meteorologist didn't see it, but we had one of those freak snowstorms that showed up while we were all sleeping. And when she got up the next morning, finally got, just got out of bed and might as well start the day, I can't sleep anyway. And she began to notice, she began to hear just something wasn't right. She began, she looked outside and saw that snow had fallen all over the ground. She turned on the radio and began to listen and heard about school after school after school had been closed and, and her daughter's school had been closed. And she just stopped right where she was and she said, God, you let the cows out for me. You know, I, I, I had a whole lot of other ideas about what, because when she was telling me the story, you might have been thinking, well, what would I have done? I had a whole lot of ideas about what I had done, I would have done, you know. I, I was thinking, no, I'd do this, you know. I, I'd want to get this guy and this, and, and I had a whole lot of ideas, but God had a better plan, didn't he? And you know what, and all the stuff, I, I mean, it, it didn't just, I mean, they were able to keep their daughter home that day, right? I mean, that was, a, that was, that was the first thing that came, comes to your mind, is they were able to keep their daughter home that day, but not just that. I mean, they didn't break the rules of this guy of whoever was going to call because she didn't go to she couldn't go to school, and then so you know, and also the guy his his whole plan was messed up, 
And so for, for, he couldn't even get to the mailbox to get the cash if they had put the cash there. So, I mean, they didn't break the rules, and, and his whole plan was messed up, so his only option was to call back and set up another plan. And so by knowing that he had to call back, they were pretty well assured that if he didn't call back, this was all a hoax, or this, was, this guy has decided not to do this, and he never called back. Man, do you believe that, Pastor? Do you believe that God would shut down all of central Alabama? It was in this area. Do you believe that God would shut down all of central Alabama because of your Christian friends breaking heart and staying in prayer all night long, turning her face to the wall and weeping bitter tears and praying an effectual fervent? Do you believe that God would do something like, yeah, I believe that God would do it because you know what else I know? I know that there's all kinds of needs all across central Alabama. Who knows how many other needs God was taking care of with the snowstorm that morning? Come on, somebody. Amen. Who knows how many needs? I mean, somebody who needed one more day to pay a bill. Uh, you know, <laughs> I could think of all kinds of ideas about how God would just shut down the world for a day just to meet somebody else's needs. Somebody who, somebody who had decided that they were going to leave their family tomorrow morning going to pack my bags as soon as my husband is gone tomorrow morning to work and the kids are in school. I'm packing my bags and I'm gone. And he gets up the next morning and the whole place is shut down. Who knows how many things? Because here's what God is doing. He's got his fingers on every part of this whole world. It's not just you and not just you, but God's got a plan for all of this stuff. Yeah, and God will do whatever it takes to meet the needs of his children. Somebody say amen. Come on, let's stand and come to the front. Let's close. Amen. Amen. Give me some room right here again, like last week. Let me ask you this. You know, <laughs> yesterday afternoon, I, I had several things on my heart and on my mind. And I, just, I was just talking to God. I kind of I had one of those days I needed to work in the basement anyway. I needed to do some cleanup. That was really good because, you know, you know, we... My family, you know, they like being around me. I mean, you know, the kids want to be around, the grandkids want to be around, all that. But none of them really want to hang out with me a whole lot when I'm working in the basement. And, you know, I got some alone time is what I'm saying. <laughs> so while I had some alone time, I just started talking to God about some of those things that I needed. I just started sharing with him some of the things that I was struggling with. And you know what I said? I said this. I said, God... I need some of that whatever it takes in my life. And he said, you, you know what? I, I, I heard God say right back to me, and he said, you know what? There are going to be people standing with you in that closing prayer tomorrow that need some whatever it takes in their life too. I need some whatever it takes. I got some situations in my life, and I need, I need God to give me some whatever it takes. Is there anybody else that needs that this morning? If so, I want you to step forward. Come on, step a little closer. If you, I need some whatever it takes. Step on forward, okay? I want the prayer team members to start noticing who's stepping forward. You need some whatever it takes. God, whatever it takes. God, to straighten out some things in my family. Whatever it takes in my, some finances. God, whatever it takes in my health. God, I need some whatever it takes today, God. Some whatever it takes. Come on, let's pray. God.